This program features interviews with respected healthcare industry experts on current topics of substantial national importance. Your host for the program is David Intricasso, a DC-based healthcare policy analyst and researcher. We invite you to comment on the program by visiting thehealthcarepolicypodcast.com. Now, here's David. Welcome to the Healthcare Policy Podcast. I'm the host, David Intracasso. During this podcast, we'll discuss oral health, specifically Oral Health America's recently published Are Older Americans Coming of Age Without Oral Health Care, the fourth volume in OHA's series titled State of Decay. With me to discuss the report is Oral Health America's President and CEO, Ms. Beth Truitt. Ms. Truitt, welcome to the program. Thank you very much. Glad to be here today. Ms. Truitt's bio is, of course, posted on the podcast website. On background, in 2000, the Surgeon General issued a report that concluded oral health in America constitutes a quote-unquote silent epidemic. Nothing's changed. Among Medicare beneficiaries, one in five have untreated cavities. The same proportion have lost all their teeth or are indentulous. Half have some form of periodontal disease, and among low-income Medicare beneficiaries, 75% do not receive any dental care at all. Oral health complications are associated with a constellation of serious illnesses, including cardiovascular and respiratory diseases and diabetes. All these are due largely to the fact that the Medicare program, now in its 53rd year, still does not cover oral health, nor do Medigap policies. This despite the fact that nearly 90% of likely voters support adding a dental benefit to Medicare. Listeners of this podcast may recall I've previously addressed oral health policy or the lack thereof via interviews with Columbia University professor and pediatric dentist Burton Edelstein in April 2013 with the American Dental Association's Dr. Marco Vucevic in January 2016 and with Mary Otto in April 2017 concerning her book, Teeth, the Story of Beauty, Inequality, and the Struggle for Oral Health in America. With me again to discuss Oral Health America's most recent volume in its State of Decay series is Beth Truitt. So with that as background, uh, Ms. Truitt, let me begin by asking, can you briefly uh, describe uh, Oral Health America? Yes, Oral Health America is a nonprofit organization. Um, we are a small headquarters staff of about 15 people located in Chicago, Illinois, um, with over 500 community partners. So our goal is to connect communities with resources uh, to be able to drive access to care, um, to improve health literacy, and also connected to what we're talking to today to um, advocate for policies that are going to change the landscape relative to oral health care. Okay, thank you. So let's, with that as background, let's get into this. So this is your fourth a volume again in the State of Decay series. I read the title of it. Um, I'll just open-ended ask you, what, what, what did you find in Volume 4? Actually, we found some encouraging signs in Volume 4. Um, not so much on the, um, you know, um, elaboration of Medicaid. However, what we see is people are paying attention. 
Um, and we see that they're paying attention based on utilization in some cases of previous reports, particularly the one published in 2016. So uh, what do I mean by that? Well, first of all, um, more states are devising an oral health plan, a state oral health plan, and they're singling out and specializing in older adults um, within those plans. Um, they are including SMART objectives. Um, that's about double since uh, 2016. And um, also they're conducting basic screening surveys to assess the uh, basic health of the older adults um, in their states. This can be done on a community level, it can be done on a regional um, level, but overall those are two signs of awareness um, that this idea is gaining traction. Um, the other thing is that um, while the number may sound small, going from 73 to 76% of communities um, covered by uh, community water fluoridation, it actually is an additional 2.2 million people. And that has to do with the fact that San Jose, California, for instance, and also some communities um, on the west coast of Florida, um, you know, finally enacted through their local governments the ability uh, to, fluoridate, uh, to fluoridate their water. Um, also, as People, you did mention that people are losing their teeth at a rate of about, you know, 20% or completely edentulous. Um, but the more contemporary way really to be looking at tooth loss um, is to say how many people have lost six or more teeth. Um, because that begins to actually impact the functionality, the ability uh, to eat their food, so to have good nutrition, um, as well as to have a satisfying life in terms of feeling comfortable, you know, with how they look and how they uh, function. Um, so we've seen improvements in each of these areas between 2016 and, and 2018 which really wasn't so between 2013 and 2016. So the level of awareness and the willingness to take action um, on a state level, as exemplified by our state stories, um, is encouraging. Okay. On the other, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, on the other side, you know, we continue to struggle relative to adult Medicaid dental benefits. Um, they are a convenient thing that uh, is often taken out to balance the state budget. So while we see progress in a state like Maryland, um, which has recently um, voted for a pilot to uh, be instituted about adult dental Medicaid, you know, here in my own state of Illinois, um, it was reduced from um, comprehensive benefits to emergency only, which means a tooth can be fooled, but there is no payment for reconstructing or even for dentures. Mm -hmm. Thank you. So um, you, you do score states. You have this six key performance measures you use, uh, and there's, uh, in reading the report, wide variation between uh, let's say, the leaders and the laggers. Can you explain uh, in, in more detail how you score these states? You do say half the states have received, you score poor, uh, or give them an overall poor uh, score. But how is this done? Well, the scoring is uh, different for each variable. 
Um, and then, you know, from a macro view, uh, because the scoring is done through, uh, differently through each variable, um, we actually work with the uh, Heller School of uh, Public Policy and Management at Brandeis to rationalize the um, scoring methodologies so that we're able to bring into this body of work um, comparable scores. So that's the background, and then if you want to look at all the science in the report, you can see the Z scores in the back of mm -hmm. the in the back of the report. Um, if you're interested in how we go about, you know each of the scoring and what we choose to use as an indicator, I'd be happy to go into that. Or if I've answered your question, we can move on. Well, let's just, if, could you just name these uh, six uh, areas or performance measure categories? I would be happy to. Um, so first of all, we're measuring whether or not um, Medicaid um, provides comprehensive um, down to emergency only or no uh, benefits. And this is an information for the 13 services um, used most frequently um, as gathered by the state Medicaid and CHIP State Dental Association. So that's the source um, and also the methodology um, for, for that. So through actually state data. Um, the second measure is the severe tooth loss, and um, the severe tooth loss is is actually a federal data um, that is brought into uh, that is brought into the report. Um, community water fluoridation uh, data comes from uh, the CDC, and then the state oral health plan and the basic screening survey are actually um, real time surveys that OHA does with state dental uh, directors. Uh, the final um, and new indicator that was added this year um, was the uh, dental benefit, the dental visit rather. Um, and by measuring the dental visit, we're then able to draw some national conclusions uh, within the report about the state of oral, older adults oral health as well as the state by state information. Okay, thank you. You do uh, note, say, the high and low scores. Uh, Minnesota ranks first again. Uh, the others, uh, Wisconsin, Iowa, you know, Connecticut, Colorado, lower uh, overall scores. Um, and I would expect, you know, many of these are obviously in the south, uh, uh, Mississippi, Tennessee, Louisiana, Texas, Arkansas, West Virginia, but I did find it interesting that Delaware and New Jersey uh, fall at the bottom or the uh, last uh, quintile. What, what explains uh, these mid-Atlantic states uh, surprisingly performing so poorly? Well, you know, New Jersey is an outlier relative to community water fluoridation. Right. Um, so that in particular you know, really hurts, um, you know, really hurts the score in New Jersey. And where usually you see that more um, on the West Coast and in Hawaii, um, you know, that's one of the key uh, factors that uh, really hurts, uh, that really hurts New Jersey. New Jersey I and Hawaii, you know, are the, are the are, have the least amount of fluoridated water. Right. Absolutely. Right. Whereas, you know, when you look at the number of covered Medicaid services, you know, in New Jersey, 12 of the 13 um, services are um, are covered. Um, so, you know, 
it um, it varies. Now, in the um, in the case of in the case of Delaware, um, Delaware took a severe cut to their Medicaid, the covered Medicaid services, whereas previously um, they had been um, more highly ranked. And they also have do not have a state oral health plan, so they're not mentioning older adults or any adults for that matter. Um, and they have not cut conducted a basic screening survey in any of their communities, nor do they have plans to conduct a basic screening survey. So when you add those factors together, even though you have a significant number of older adults who've had a dental visit, um, the other um, and a good portion, 87.1% with community water fluoridation, these other factors actually drag down the overall score. Okay, thank you. Let me ask, uh, I have to ask this question about disparities. Uh, they're significant. For example, African American and Hispanic seniors, for example, are two times more likely to have untreated uh, decay than non-Hispanic whites. You do not, you do know, not surprisingly, there's a linear relationship between household income and the probability of an individual seeing a dentist. No surprise there, particularly since uh, dental oral health care is largely still a cash pay um, business. What what what's your observation relative to disparities and trend uh, related to? Unfortunately, I would say that the um, you do not see significant improvement, improvement, which is why the factors of the basic training survey, the state oral health plan. Um, and also community water fluoridation, the public health factors become important because these have an opportunity to impact the population without the kind of in, um, individual decision-making that it takes to institute um, a Medicaid benefit. Um, it's also why Oral Health America is working on the national front relative to Medicare, because if we're really going to talk about access to care for all, then we need to talk about policies that support payments, which will allow people to um, receive the care and pay for care. Thank you, and I'll get to Medicare. You've mentioned Medicaid, but before I do, you do also note, and we should uh, discuss this, however, briefly, there are certainly workforce issues here. In this latest report, you note that 31 states have high rates of dental health provider areas, shortage areas, rather, uh, and those shortage areas meet or are only meeting 40% or less of dental provider needs. So this is also, too, a workforce issue, is it not? It is a workforce issue. And if you go back to 2013, you'll note that we actually um, included those dental shortage areas, you know, nicknamed DIPSAs, um, as one of the uh, factors. But uh, we dropped that as a factor in 2016 um, while recognizing that it's still an issue um, because the Indian Health Service and many of the federally qualified health centers' data are not fed into that national measure. So it becomes um, less reliable than, than some of the other factors. But what we know is when you um, get into rural areas in particular and in many cases in low-income areas of major or even small cities, um, that the factor of whether there is a person available, a dentist available, or whether there's a dental dentist available 
that we'll see that particular individual begins to play into whether or not truly there's access to care. Right. Thank you. And just to note, DIPSA, this is the dental professional shortage areas. And let's go to coverage uh, and Medicare specifically. As I noted in the intro, Medicare, with, with limited, very limited exception, does not provide or cover oral health. Um, we do know, oddly, uh, despite it not covering, and you do sh- cite the statistic that for individuals with chronic conditions who receive dental care, they save an average of $1,300 on medical claims annually versus those with chronic conditions who do not receive recommended dental care or none at all. So there's a certain cost, benefit-cost ratio here that's positive. But what's your finding relative to Medicare coverage and projections for expanding to include oral health? I'm more encouraged than I was when we started working on it four years ago. Um, we have uh, assembled a, um, a viable coalition of oral health as well as uh, public policy um, and aging organizations um, to get behind this. Uh, we coordinate three different working groups, one on the design of the policy for Medicare Part B, important that it's Part B so that it's for everyone. Um, Another one on doing um, consumer research so that we understand what is important to people and what are they willing to pay for. And then finally, um, from a politics perspective, you know, what will it take uh, to get a policy uh, a new policy across the, the finish line. Uh, Medicare has changed. Um, it changed more in the early years. Um, it's changed more slowly in, in recent years. But uh, one of the encouraging things we find among consumers is that it is not a partisan issue and that um, even among people, 58% of people who um, call themselves very conservative um, believe that an oral health in a benefit in Medicare um, is the right way to uh, to go. So I feel like these working groups are making progress, um, making progress toward 2020 when it is our goal to um, have this on the agenda of the presidential candidates. Okay, thank you. Um, let me ask, impress you on this. Where, where are the dental uh, uh, professional associations? on this, or what's your sense or understanding of, of where the ADA and the alphabet soup of other related professional and trade associations are? Well, the encouraging piece um, from 2017 is the American Dental Association um, becoming part of the coalition and actually working um, with the health policy group to come to terms with um, what we mutually believe would be um, a benefit that would benefit people and that would encourage at least 50% of of providers to participate. So uh, this is significant, this is significant progress and um, the American Dental Association will be co-sponsoring our um, Medicare for Older Adults Symposium in, in July. So I see that progress is, you know, is being made. You never know what um, uh, delegates might say when bills come to the floor. Uh, but I am 
very encouraged uh, with the collaboration and the progress. Okay, thank you. And just to note relative to how important insurance is, and this is in your 18 report, older adults with insurance are two and a half times more likely to visit a dentist on a regular basis. Um, let me let me sort of a formula question I frequently ask. Uh, absent uh, moving to Wisconsin or Minnesota, Iowa, Connecticut, Colorado, those that you rank excellent for oral health for older adults, uh, absent moving to one of those states, what would you recommend or what advice would you pass on to clinicians of any type who see patients not, say, primarily or necessarily for oral health, but clearly or easily identify they have oral health needs? What recommendations might you make? So... Um Without being, you know, overly optimistic here, I, I'd want to say that, you know, part of our effort, both through our website, um, toothwisdom.org, as well as through a course that we've developed um, for senior centers around the uh, country, Tooth Wisdom Get Smart About Your Mouth, you know, what we find in talking to older adults in in most, in many cases, um, they feel like uh, prevention is is no longer um, something where they can do something about their mouth. Um, although they may worry about um, things like being able to kiss their grandchildren or, you know, how they are going to get themselves out of pain, um, they have kind of lost hope. And so, you know, one of the things that uh, we offer through toothwisdom.org is um, over 2,200 low-cost options for finding care. Um, it's a GPS-based map. Um, where you can put in your zip code and, and find a location that's, uh, that's close to you. Um, so that is a, um, that is a helpful tool. And, um, then through the health articles that are organized somewhat like, say, the Mayo website, um, you can find out information about dry mouth, about other knotty problems that, uh, face adults and particularly older adults. Um, so that there's some ability um, to do something, um, even if we're not getting to, you know, over the finish line in terms of, of having the complete care uh, that is that is needed. Okay, thank you. I'm, I appreciate you mentioning dry mouth, a substantial problem for seniors because of uh, the side effect uh, oftentimes uh, there are resulting from uh, medic prescribed medications. So um, over 500 of them, actually. Um. <laughs> right. Yes, a substantial number. Problem. Thank you. Um, we're at our basically at our time boundary. Let me just a uh, closing uh, final comment or overview comment about maybe uh, where do you go with your next report, possibly. Well, it's an interesting uh, report because it ties into your opening comment. It'll be 2020, and that will be the 20th anniversary of the Surgeon General's report. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, we have some interesting thoughts about going back into those roots and, um, you know, tracing progress um, and the lack of progress since that period of time, and we will, of course, be looking for new indicators. Um, in our 2016 report, we stuck our toe in the water relative to nutrition and oral health, and we have also seen implications by working with uh, Leading Age and Meals on Wheels America that health, um, hunger, and housing go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. So you may see us going um, 
beyond um, oral health and taking a look at the social determinants of health and how all of these play into, you know, what we're really looking for, and that is the connection between oral and overall health and wellness. Yes, all correlated. So with that, uh, Beth, I, I genuinely appreciate this overview of your latest report. Uh, very important addition uh, to the debate and study. So thank you for it and appreciate your time. Thank you very much. You have just heard another edition of the Healthcare Policy Podcast hosted by David Intricasso. To comment on this program or others, to see information about upcoming interviews, to suggest a program topic, or to hear an archive program, please visit our website, thehealthcarepolicypodcast.com. Thank you for listening, and please listen again soon.